every time you, you stay home, instead of gathering with the family of faith to worship the Lord, you miss something that God has for you. I'm so glad you're here today. We're starting a new uh, sermon series on, on marriage, and I, I love that song, Victory, because God wants you to have a victorious, successful, winning marriage, and unfortunately, not everybody does. seems like there's a, there are a lot of couples who struggle, and there's a lot of discouragement when it comes to, to marriage. I I remember hearing about a little girl who, for the very first time, heard the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. She was all excited, telling her mother about it, when she asked her mom if she knew how the story ended. Her mom said, of course I know. Snow White and the prince lived happily ever after. And the little girl said, no, they didn't. They got married. Some people have a difficult time associating a long-lasting marriage with happiness because they haven't seen a lot of it in their particular world or their particular lives. We know that divorce happens way too often. Some of you have experienced it, either yourself or in your family. We've seen it in the church, and obviously in our culture in, in, in this nation today is increasing. It's, it's still true that people who go to church regularly are less likely to divorce than people who don't, but even in church we're seeing way too much divorce, and, and it, uh, it seems to be really hard anymore to have a successful, happy, lasting marriage that wins. It's interesting, um, Lloyds of London will insure just about anything. I don't know if you know this, but once Lloyds of London insured a food critic's taste buds for $400,000. Lloyds of London insured the actress Betty Grable and the singers Rihanna and uh, Mariah Carey insured their legs for $1 million each. Lloyds of London in, uh, insured the singers uh, Bruce Springsteen, Rod Stewart, and Bob Dylan insured their voice for several million dollars. And Lloyds of London actually insured Dolly Parton's. I'll let you figure out what they insured of hers. You know the one thing Lloyds of London will not insure? Someone's marriage. All the crazy things they will ensure, they will not ensure someone's marriage because divorce is too common. And some, some of us are discouraged. You know, every time as a pastor, I, I get a phone call and, Pastor, can we talk? Uh, happens way, way too often couples struggling. It can be really discouraging. So I want, I want to begin this series of messages by encouraging you a little bit and let you know that marriage does work. It can work if you do it the right way. So I want everyone here who's been married at least 20 years, 20 years or longer, to go ahead and stand up right now. You've been married 20 years or longer. Go ahead and stand up right now. Go ahead. Yeah. Now remain standing. Hey, and, and, and for you young folk in here, teenagers and college students and single adults, you young, young adults, listen, you should have been here for our first service, our 910 service. We, we had this many people standing up who've been married 50 years or longer. So it works. Now, if you've been married 30 years or longer, remain standing. Otherwise, you may be seated. 30 years or longer, remain standing. Yeah. If, if you've been married 40 years or longer, would you stand? Remain standing, otherwise be seated. 40 years or longer. All right. 50 years or longer. Y'all help me. The TV lights make it hard for me to see. Fit back here in the corner. All right. 
How many, how many years? How many years? Somebody tell me. How many years? What did they say? 50 exactly? Congratulations. God bless you. And, and what I want you teenagers to know is even though you, you see so much on television and hear it in the media that divorce is, that, that marriage is dead, it doesn't work, well, here's the evidence. It does work. And you, you can have a lasting marriage, a happy marriage, a good marriage. Um, not all marriages end badly. And so what we're going to do is talk about some of the practical things that can help us have a marriage that lasts 50 years, 60 years, etc. And not just stay together, but stay together happily and, and have a, a good life together. And since I'm a sports fan, I, I enjoy college sports in particular. We're going to use some sports analogies to talk about these practical things over the next, next um, uh, a few weeks. And that's why I've titled, we've titled this Marriage as a Team Sport because it's working as a team, not, not individuals, but working as a unit, as a couple, as a, as a team. And, you know, in sports, you, you have certain things you have to do really well, defense and offense, for instance. Um, whether it's football or basketball or baseball, whatever the team sport, the, the job of the defense is to keep, uh, to keep the other team from scoring. To keep the other team from, from, and I chose the picture of South Carolina and Clemson on purpose. I figured fewer of you would get mad at me if I did it that way. But uh, in this particular line of scrimmage photo, Carolina has the ball. Clemson's on defense. So Clemson doesn't want Carolina to score. That's what defense is. And so we're going to spend one Sunday talking about how do you protect your marriage? How do you protect your end zone or your goal, if you will, the sports analogy? How, what are some things you need to do to protect your marriage? from the opponent. You don't want the opponent to score. You don't want the opponent to defeat your marriage. So how do you protect your marriage? Well, the team that has the ball, the team that's on offense is trying to score, trying to advance the ball, trying to, to win the game. And so how do you bless your marriage? How do, how do you strengthen it? How do you win? So not only how do you protect it from anything that would harm it, how do you make it better? How do you make it good? How do you score, so to speak, and, and, and advance your relationship together as a husband and a wife? So we're going to talk about defense. Then one Sunday we'll talk about some practical things on offense, blessing your marriage. We're also going to spend a Sunday talking about skills and techniques because whatever sport you play, there are certain skills you have to master if you're going to be really good and if your team is going to succeed. This is a photograph of some basketball players working on a, a dribbling drill. So whether it's dribbling or in basketball, the two-handed chest pass, or whether it's blocking out, boxing out on a rebound, there are skills you have to develop if you're going to be good. Football, what you have to have the there's a right way and a wrong way to tackle. There's a right way and a wrong way to block. There's, there's a way if you're a defensive lineman to swing and, and to get around the guy trying to block you. There are techniques, there are skills, and in marriage it's the same thing. There are certain skills you're going to have to get better at throughout the years to have a winning marriage. For instance, uh, one of those skills is communication. You have to learn how to talk to each other the right way. You, you need to learn how to have disagreements and, you know, we, we talk about fight, fight fairly, how to have disagreements and find resolution. There's Some couples never figure out how to do that effectively and it destroys their marriage. So there's certain skills you need and we'll spend a week or two talking about some of those skills and techniques. Today, though, we're going to begin for this one Sunday with what I'm calling the philosophy, philosophy of marriage, the philosophy of a coach. For instance, um, 
a, a successful head coach has a basic philosophy as, as that, that drives how he coaches, the decisions he makes and so on. This is a, a photograph of uh, John Wooden, the legendary UCLA basketball coach, his, his, pyramid, his pyramid of success. And uh, we're not going to walk through that, but he had his philosophy. These are the things that, that, that were important to him that drove how he organized not only his teams but his whole administration, how he taught his players, how he recruited his players. All so coaches have philosophies, and it, and it drives things. And, and in your marriage, whether you know it or not, you have a philosophy. You, you have some core values. You have some basic tenets that, that shape how you go about marriage. And, and the problem is some philosophies are good and some are not. Some philosophies work well and others do not. So what is your philosophy of marriage? We're going to talk about that today because here's the thing. Your philosophy, these core values, this, this, this essence of who you are and how you view marriage drives the decisions you make in life. And your decisions affect the quality of your marriage. For instance, a, a coach, his philosophy will drive the decisions he makes about offense and defense. If he's a, a basketball coach on defense, does he is he more of a zone coach on defense like Jim Beheim at Syracuse, or is he more of a man-to-man coach? On offense, is he more of a motion offense, or what's his philosophy? It dictates how he designs his team. It impacts how he who he recruits. It impacts even what what skills he wants his players to develop more than other skills. Same thing is true in marriage. Your view of marriage, your philosophy about marriage will drive the decisions you make. It will drive what you do and don't do, what you value and don't value. It will drive you getting better at certain things. It will drive you let, let, saying these things are not important, so they're not a priority. I'm going to leave those to the side. Your philosophy dictates all of that. And I'm going to say something to all the single adults in the, in the room and those watching on television today. Whether you've been divorced or never married, you're a college student, young adult, teenager, and you hope to one day be in a, a happy marriage, listen to me. Your philosophy of marriage will drive your dating life. You say, here's the kind of husband, kind of wife I want. Then you need to date those kind of people. If you want a certain kind of husband, a certain kind of wife, you want someone who's already living the right way, already loving Jesus and they're demonstrating it, someone who's not struggling with addictions, who doesn't have a temper problem, then, then if that's truly your philosophy, that dictates your dating and you, won't, you will not date outside of that. Now you, you can say, here's what I want, but if your dating says otherwise, then this over here is just words. It's not your real philosophy. Because if you are committed to a philosophy of relationships, it will drive everything you do. And that ultimately will determine the success or failure of what comes later in life. So philosophy matters. And here's the thing. God has already given us in the Bible his philosophy of marriage. We're going to begin by looking at what he says, so I invite you to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. It's the very first marriage. God, in fact, performed the wedding, if you will. The creation of Adam and Eve, the very first marriage. And, and, and listen, guys, marriage is something that God created. And here's the very first one. In Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 18, 
The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And then in the following verses, God brings all the animals to Adam. He names them, and none of them, we're told, are a suitable helpmate for Adam. And then in verse 21, God causes Adam to go asleep. You know the story. He removes a rib. And uh, in verse 22, God fashioned that rib into a woman, and, and he brought her to the man. And then verses 23 and following. Here's what Adam said. Here's how he responded. He said, now, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man will leave or shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Or the King James says, be cleaved to his wife, cleaved to his wife and become one flesh. Now, in that simple, beautiful story, you have God's philosophy of marriage. I want to point out some things. In verse 18, God said it's not good for man to be alone. Here's the thing. God created us for relationship. God created humanity as social beings. We need relationships. We need people. And the most important relationship, other than the one we have with Jesus Christ, is our relationship with our husband, with our wife, that marriage relationship. God cre- the, the, the reason we long to have connections is God wired us that way from the very beginning. And now God brings all these animals to Adam. He names them, and none of them are a suitable helpmate for Adam. And one of the points God is making is that there is nothing in all of the created universe that can equal the relationship, a loving, godly relationship between a husband and wife. We, 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 we sacrifice so many times our marriage relationship for all these things in creation. So when I'm working, you know, hard to, to make a living and provide for the family, when I spend all my time with hobbies or, or whatever it is, all of those things are a reflection of the created order, the physical, tangible universe. And too often we allow those to become substitutes for the relationship that God intended to be, the, be that great blessing in our life. And what God is telling us in these stories, ultimately those things do not work. They're not suitable. They cannot do for you what relationships with people can do, and and especially a, a, a godly relationship as a husband and wife. And so in verse 22, God takes the rib from Adam, fashions a woman, brings her to him. God is the one who created marriage. Every wedding I perform, one of the things I say is that God created the home, therefore we need to listen to him because he knows more about it than everybody else. And here we're getting a sense of what God says about marriage and how to have a really good marriage. He said in verse 24, Adam says, The man is to to leave his parents and be joined with, cleave to, cling to his wife. It's the idea of being, being grafted together like two plants being grafted to create a new plant. And God is telling us there that the relationship between a husband and wife, here's God's philosophy of marriage. The relationship between a husband and wife takes precedence over every relationship in life save your relationship with Jesus Christ. My relationship with Monisa takes precedence over my relationship with my mother, who's still living, takes precedence over my relationship with our two children and even with our grandchildren. Now that's not always 
popular in our culture, and some of you may be struggling a little bit hearing that. But God says the biblical philosophy of marriage is your relationship with your spouse takes precedence over every relationship except the one you have with Jesus Christ. See, God gives you kids so that you can nurture and raise them, then they leave. At least they're supposed to. They leave, right? Those of you who stood a moment ago because you're married, guess what? You left your parents. That's God's design. Marriage got designed to be until death separates you, not graduation from college or a wedding day. Death separates you. That's God's philosophy of marriage. And when you have God's philosophy, then you look at marriage differently. You think about it differently. You make decisions differently. You protect it a certain way. You bless it a certain way. You develop the skills necessary to have a really good one because you have the right philosophy. If you want to understand it even better, look at Genesis chapter 1. In verse 26, God said, let us make man in our plural image, referring to the triune God. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is one. He's three, you know, revealed himself as three, but he's, he's one, one person. And then he says in verse 27, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, created man in his own image, only humanity is created in the image of God. Your pets are not created in the image of God. You can have a relationship with God that animals can never have. You and you alone, humanity alone, is created in the image of God. Man, he says, was created in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so if you want to get the totality in, in, in what God has revealed about his image in the creation of humanity, it is seen not just by looking at a man, not just by looking at a woman, but in that holy union when the two come together and as chapter 2 said, become one flesh. It is a sacred relationship. God created it. The government did not. God knows how to make it work. Culture does not. Your friends do not. TV sitcoms do not. God does. And this is his philosophy of marriage. Now, I want to help you flesh that out. What does it mean to say, I'm committed? We're one flesh. We're, we're committed to each other. Let's see if we can break that down a little bit. I'll give you a math formula. You ready? One plus one equals one. Now that doesn't make any sense. But in God's math, it does. Because if you want to have a great marriage, that's the kind of math you will practice. One plus one equals one, not two. Because when you become a husband and wife and you're grafted together, you cleave together, you're one flesh, you become a team. And the success of the team takes precedence. That's why I said a moment ago, your relationship with your spouse takes precedence over other relationships. The team matters more. One plus one in marriage equals one. One flesh 
one team. Yes, we're still personalities. I have my personality. Monisa has hers. They're different. But in God's economy, it's one flesh. It's one. It's not two. You see, listen. In marriage, your I must yield to the we. Your I must yield to the we, to the team. Say that with me. Your I must yield to the we. Say that out loud. Come on. Your I must yield to the we. Now let's change it. My I, okay? My capital I. My I must yield to the we. Say that again. My I must yield to the we. One more time. My I must yield to the we. That's God's formula for a winning marriage, for a winning team. See, sports teams that win, win because they play like a team, not just a bunch of individual players doing their own thing. Same thing is true in marriage. The we matters more than the me. Now, there, there are a lot of couples in our culture, maybe some of you in this room and some watching on television, who struggle with that. You, you, you do it occasionally. You, you, the we trumps the me occasionally. But, but you really struggle to do that consistently. You do it partially. A lot of people in our culture take the model of 50%, 50%. Marriage is 50-50, right? I'm going to give, you're going to give us 50%. 50. The reality is that's, that's a 1 plus 1 equals 2 equation. That's the world's equation, and it doesn't work. And when couples try the 1 plus 1 equals 2 approach to marriage, it just doesn't work. Me doesn't work. We, that works. Team chemistry and, and, and athletics is so important. We've all seen teams who were talented that, that didn't do well because they never learned to play as a team. It was just a bunch of individual players putting their own self-interest ahead of the team. Success. And there are too many marriages where it's me, it's what I like, it's what I want. It's not what makes us as a team, us as a couple, us as one flesh, us as a home win. Successful. Great teams have players who sacrifice for the sake of the team. doesn't matter what the sport is. Great marriages have men and women, husbands and wives, who sacrifice for the marriage because ultimately the marriage matters. And here's the thing. When the marriage is happy, guess what? You're happy. And when the marriage is not happy, I don't care how much me you have, ultimately you're going to go through some heartache. Do you know what the one plus one principle really is? The one plus one equals one principle is 100%, 100%. It's not 50-50. It's I'm all in all the time. My spouse is all in all the time. Now, let's be honest. I'm human. Don't always get there, right? You don't either. But I tell you what, that had better be our philosophy. We had better be trying and we had better be doing that most of the time if we want a great marriage. I'm all in all the time, not some of the time, 
I'm doing my dead level best to be all in all the time because the we matters. Now, I'm going to give you an example of this from the real world of college basketball. Just try to make it as practical as I know how to make it because what, what does it look like to say I'm all in? What does it look like to say the team matters, the one flesh matters? That's, that's priority. That's precedence. And, and, and so I'm committed to making the marriage work. What does that really mean in practical terms? Let, let me illustrate it for you in, in, in terms of college basketball. This week I exchanged a few message with, messages with Greg Marshall, the coach at Wichita State. He used to be here at Winthrop. We, we stay in touch from time to time. And, and um, I was telling him that I'm starting this sermon series today. So I asked Greg, I said, would you share with me some of your philosophy, some of the things you tell your players about you know, your, your, your team philosophy. And so I want to share with you some things he, he sent me in, in, in a message earlier this week. Number one, there's three of them. Number one is trust. Now, go ahead and put up on the screen the next slide, guys. Trust. He said, trust is essential to winning. Trust is paramount to any successful organization or union. I must trust you, and you can also trust me. Now, in, in basketball, when you're playing defense, you have to trust that the other players have your back if you get beat. You have to trust that when you run your offense, the other player is going to be where they're supposed to be. You have to be able to trust each other. And in marriage, it's the same thing. You've got my back. I have your back. I can count on you. You can count on me. I'm going to do my job in this marriage. You're going to do your job in this marriage. Trust matters. We're going to cultivate trust. And, and because that is what it means to be committed to be one flesh, then when I'm faced with a decision that would weaken the trust because commitment, one flesh, trust is my philosophy. I'm less likely to make the decision that will weaken the trust in our relationship. If, if that is your philosophy of marriage, you're not going to lie to your spouse. Even a little bit. You're just not going to lie to your wife, to your husband. You're going to be the kind of person they can count on always because that's your value. That's your philosophy. You want that marriage to win. Another thing Greg said was he, he, he talked about accountability. He said we all are and will be held accountable for our actions. So if a player misses curfew, guess what? You don't start the next game or you may not play the next game. We're accountable for our actions. In marriage, accountability is important. And here's how that looks. If I'm committed to you, to my wife, she's committed. If you're committed to your spouse, then, then you're not going to hide things from your spouse. You're accountable to your spouse. And, and I'm going to talk about this in one of the sermons on defense coming up. But let me just hit it a little bit right now. Accountability, commitment that, 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 is, that says I'm accountable to my spouse means that my spouse knows all the passwords to my social media accounts. Uh-oh, I'm meddling, aren't I? You should not be offended if your spouse looks at anything on your Facebook account. Any of your social media. Because let me ask you, what are you trying to hide? In the one flesh relationship, it is one unit, not two living under the same roof. It is one 
unit. And there should be nothing I want to hide from my wife. If there is, I shouldn't be doing it. Accountability. All in with all of me all the time. If I only want to go part way, there's a problem. There's, 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 there's a weakness in the defense that Satan can attack. Accountability. And the third thing Greg said was everyday guys. I like the way he said that. Everyday guys. We want guys, players, that are willing to work and pay the price of success. And then in capital letters he said, every day. I'm willing to do my part. I'm willing to work and get better as a player, get better as a teammate, get better as a husband, get better as a wife, get better as a Christian, get better as a man, get better as a woman, get better as a human being every day. And a lot of our marriages will be transformed overnight if we quit trying to fix our spouse and just allow God to work on making us a better me. Every day. Marriage is working it. Now listen, I'm 57 years old. If when I'm 67, I'm the same person I am today, then my marriage will not be as good then as it is today. Because I have to continue growing as a person, as a husband, as a man, as a Christian. And so do you. So do you. I, this is kind of funny. I heard about a, a couple in, in Turkey. Yeah, the nation of Turkey over there in Eastern Europe. Turkey. They'd been married 21 years. He wanted to divorce her. And they had this really nasty legal battle in the court system for six years getting a divorce. And after the divorce, he, he decided he wanted to find the ideal woman. So he, 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 he joined one of these online dating services put in all of his information, thousands of women. Do you, do, do you know who the computer spit out for him to date, his ideal woman? Yeah, his ex-wife. <laughs> I thought, that's great. So, so nine months after they divorced, they remarried. And he said, I did not know that my ex-wife had been the ideal counterpart for a marriage. I decided to give it another try by being more tolerant toward her. Well, I think he still has a few things to learn. But see, folks, it's about working at it. Working at it. A, 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 a good team gets better. Listen, when Duke won the title the other night, they were a much better team then than they were three months ago. Because if you get better, you get better. That's how you win. And in marriage, it's the same thing. You get better as time moves forward. And so the only, listen, I'm going to wrap this up here in a second, but bear with me because this is important. The only way to have a great marriage is for the team to win. Now hear that. The only way to have a great marriage is for the team to win. Jesus said in Mark's gospel, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. See, team sports are different than individual sports. This afternoon, some of you are going to go home after you eat lunch, turn on the TV and watch the final round of the Masters. It's an individual sport. You're not going to learn anything about marriage from watching golf. But you can learn something about relationships, about marriage from watching team sports. Here's the thing. Listen to this. Listen, listen. If the team wins, every player on the team wins. If the team loses, every player on the team loses. 
It's the same with marriage. Successful teams win together. They can't win alone. Marriages, you win together. You will never win alone. It's not about two superstars each trying to dominate the other to get their way and their wish. It's about the success of the team. When me replaces we, there's trouble. Marriage is two individuals coming together to form a team. And like I said, when the team wins, every player wins. Now, how many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you, how many of you have ever heard of Robert Ory? Raise your hand. You've heard of Robert Ory. All right, uh, about 25, 30 of us really fanatical basketball guys, right, know who Robert Ory is. Played college basketball at Alabama 16 years in the NBA. Retired in 2008. Now listen to this. Robert Ory has more NBA championship rings. You know, when they win the world championship, the NBA, professional basketball, they get a, each player gets a ring. He has more NBA world championship rings than LeBron James, than Kobe Bryant, than Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan has six rings. Robert Ory has seven rings. Seven times he played on teams that won the NBA championship. He has seven rings. Sixteen seasons. Listen to the sixteen seasons in the NBA, seven of them world champs. He's not one of the greatest players to ever play the game. In fact, he never made an all-star team. Never made never played in the all-star game. For most of his career, he, he came off the bench. He wasn't a starter. He's one of only, listen to this, he's one of only nine players in the history of, of the NBA who have seven rings. The other eight all played for the Boston Celtics in the 1960s when Bill Russell and that team had that big run. He's the only guy that didn't play on those great Celtics teams of the 60s with seven rings. The only one. The only player. He was known as, you know, Mr. Clutch. He'd he come off the bench, and he hit so many three-pointers at the end of games. I, I, I remember years ago watching when he played for the, the Lakers, and they were playing the Sacramento Kings, and the Kings were up two games to one in the best of seven. And with just a few seconds to go, the Kings were ahead by two. Kobe shot, missed, Shaq missed, ball got knocked out, thinking it was going to go out of bounds. And Ori grabbed the ball as it was going out of bounds, slung up a three-pointer, falling out of bounds, swished the net. Lakers won the game. Tied the series at two, went on to win the series. I still remember that. I was so mad. I wanted the Kings to win that so bad because I can't stand the Lakers. I'm sorry if any of you are L.A. fans. So I apologize. I love you, brother, but I don't love the Lakers. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, should I? Got in the flesh there a little bit. God forgive me. He is one of only three players in NBA history to win, listen to this, to win back-to-back um, -back NBA titles with two teams, two different teams. He's one of only two players in NBA history to win titles.
titles, national uh, world championships with three different teams. He has played in more NBA playoff games than any player in history, and he has made more three-point baskets in the NBA finals than any player in NBA history. And his whole career, he was never an all-star, primarily a bench player. But I'd say he had a pretty good career, wouldn't you? See, when the team wins, the players win. When the team loses, the players lose. And if you think you're going to have a great marriage by making it all about you and getting all that you want, uh-uh, you're going to lose. When the team wins, you win. When the marriage wins, you win. And guess what? Winning is fun. I mean, when teams win, they jump and hoop and hug each other and, and, and men hug in ways they never would hug any other time. Right? You ever seen a losing team do that? When marriages lose, there's tears and heartache and bitterness. Some of you have experienced that, right? Now, we're going to talk in the weeks to come about the practical things. How do you protect your marriage? How do you bless your marriage? What are these skills? But if we don't get this philosophy of marriage that is about one flesh, that is about we, not me, none of that other stuff will matter. Because that's what drives me when I communicate wrong to say, all right, sweetie, I messed up. I'm sorry. But if you don't care about that, then that stuff just festers and festers and builds up and builds up. If, if taking care of the marriage matters because you've got God's philosophy of marriage, you're going to do it right. It drives you. It pushes you. It will not allow you to settle for failure, for mediocrity. You're in church this morning. Some of you watching on television right now, listen to me. God's going to use God's going to use this message to encourage some of you to to push forward in good ways. But the people who are you know heading out to the bar to talk to their buddies, they're not going to get that kind of encouragement. They're not going to become a, a better person so they can have a better we, a better marriage, right? I mean, it's common sense. It's practical. What's your philosophy? Your philosophy of marriage. I'll close. I'll close with this. Heard about two businessmen who were on a flight together. One of them was married, had you know, wife, kids. The other one was a single, single man. When they, when they, when the plane landed, they were in, you know, downstairs getting their luggage off the carousel. And the family man, his family was there to meet him. His wife hugged him, kissed him. Kids ran up and. Daddy, daddy, they hugged him. They were all excited. And this single guy was watching all that with, with amazement. And he was thinking, man, they had to be separated a long time. And so he said to the family, um, have you all been, been apart for quite a while? And the family said, oh, yeah, two whole days. And the single man said, I sure hope I can have a family like that someday. The married man set down the suitcase and turned and looked at him. And, and, he, and he said, don't hope my friend, decide. Don't hope, my friend, decide. 
What kind of decisions are you going to make about life and about marriage, your philosophy of marriage, your commitment? You're becoming one flesh, not me, but we. See, for some of us, what we need today is for God to renew our heart, to change our heart, to change us, our thinking, our approach to things. Maybe you've gotten tired. Maybe you've gotten beaten up, discouraged. And you need God to renew you, to change you. Because when we talk about how do you fight fairly and how do you protect your marriage and how do you bless your marriage, your heart's got to be right to do stuff with what we talk about in the weeks to come, okay? So that's why we're starting with this message. You know, are you bought into the team or not? Have you bought into the team concept? Have you bought into the marriage? Have you are you are you all in? That's how it works. Are you all in? All the time, every day. Are you all in? As Greg Marshall said, an everyday guy. Are you an everyday husband? Are you an everyday wife? Are you bought in to the team? Are you bought in and you're gonna work to do your part? Every day. This altar is a place when we sing this song for you, get on your knees and talk to God. Just, God, renew me, restore me, refresh me. God, help me. Maybe there's another marriage that you're burdened for, you know, a relative or a friend, and they're struggling. You want to pray for their marriage. Come and pray here at the altar for them. Pastors are going to be here, decision counselors. You can, you can join First Baptist Church. We invite you to come and join this church. And uh, we invite you to commit your life to Jesus Christ. We, we have guests with us today. So so thankful you came. Some came to hear this sermon series. So glad you're here. Maybe God is saying something to you. You're welcome to pray here at the altar. You're welcome to talk to a pastor. You can pray where you stand. Just, just respond to what God is saying to you. So let's stand together. And we're going to sing this song. And as we do, just, just respond to the Lord. Father, help us right now. Help us right now, O oh Lord. To not settle for what is, but to, to reach for, to strive for what can be. God, touch our hearts. Touch our hearts. Amen. Let's sing. You come quickly. You come.